0: Have you guys ever wondered what to do in an accident? I mean, I totally have, as a rideshare driver myself, never been in one doing rideshare, thank goodness. But what happens? I mean, there's so many things out there on the internet. There's so many different documentation sources, but what better way to get the truth than to have actual lawyers than on a podcast? So i like to welcome uh, both uh, Brandon, myself, and our guest today from Legal Rideshare, Bryant. Welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So this is one of the questions that, you know, it's on top of my mind. It's, I'm sure it's on top of many of our drivers of and, and Brandon, is it on top of your mind?
2: Uh, not so much because
0: I don't really have cars, but um, definitely have thought about it before. Definitely have thought about it. Yeah. What about when you're about riding? It. What about passengers? Do passengers think about these things too? Like what happens if you get in an accident as a passenger?
2: I think you probably just get out and walk. I don't think as a passenger you <laughs> yeah. think about it. You think about it that yeah. much.
0: <laughs> so, so Brian,
1: what is legal rideshare? So, legal rideshare is the only law firm in the United States that's entirely dedicated to Uber, Lyft, and rideshare accident and injury claims. Um, we started about uh, five years ago as Uber and Lyft uh, became as popular as they, you know, as they are today. We've been riding. Uh,
0: along with them, and we've been along with the rideshare drivers that whole time. That's, you know, that's, that's great. So um, as, I, as I know, uh, you guys are all lawyers?
1: Uh, so we've got a team of lawyers, and we are, um, you know, practicing personal injury law. That means we see on a regular basis a car accident claims. Um, we do see assaults in batteries. Um, okay. and batteries. We have represented drivers on all of these issues. So basically yeah. if you are injured and you you know, you're on the clock, we're gonna be able to assist. That's that's awesome
2: because there's so many you, you hear a lot about the passenger side of things in terms of, you know, passenger safety and, and passengers suing, Uber Lyft and things like that, but you don't really hear that much about hey, how are drivers being protected? um, in these different situations, whether it be from like an injury standpoint or or what have you, you don't hear like a lot about, a lot about that. So it's, it's awesome to see a, a uh, law firm really kind of dedicated to helping drivers out with that. So that's, that's awesome.
0: And you don't even hear about this on, from Uber or Lyft really. I, I, as a driver myself, I, I I know they, they tout, they, everyone gets a million dollars insurance policy, but what they don't tell you in the fine print is that there's a thousand dollar deductible, which, you know, with my limits understanding of insurance deductible means basically uh, screw yourself. You're going to pay this money anyways. That's about <laughs> right.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> so let me, let me put it in, <laughs> in legal terms, um, but the your terms understanding is, yeah. is basically correct. Um, so <laughs> when we talk about a deductible, it's a threshold. It means the first amount of money that you would have to pay before the insurance would kick in. So let's talk about a, a typical accident. You're sitting at a red light you get rear-ended um, say that there's damage to your vehicle, but it's nothing substantial. Mm. You, know, you might need to, to put the bumper back on, maybe a paint transfer. That may be under $1,000 of repair. Mm. In that case, Uber and Lyft's insurance are not going to step up in the mm. car for you. Uh, you're going to be out of pocket that initial $1,000 for Uber. And for Lyft, it's even higher. It's 2500 So that you are really, you know, there's gotta be substantial damage to your car to get above that $2,500 threshold. You're gonna find yourself digging into your own wallet uh, maybe more times than not.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, you yourself included, Brandon, maybe not yourself because you don't have a car, but you know, for us car owners, I mean, those little minor dings, scratches, um, I could think of a lot of things that are under that $1,000 threshold, but that are also like pain in the butts to get fixed out of pocket
1: one thing that uber and lyft drivers really don't appreciate and it's largely because the companies don't do a good job of explaining it is that they need to have uh, collision coverage on their personal policy in mm. order to get any protection from the company at all so if you're on the app mm. if you're in period two you know on the way to pick up a passenger or you're in period three you have a passenger in the car and okay. you do an accident Uber and Lyft are not going to pay to fix your vehicle unless you've taken out that private policy yourself. They're going to so, match
0: what you already have. Wow. Mm, so I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, it's not even insurance for a uh, guarantee insurance. You have to maintain your own personal policy to even begin to get screwed by that $1,000 deductible. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, so you have 000. to take a step before you can get screwed.
0: Oh, my goodness. This sounds. No wonder they don't highlight this on their website. They, they just say, hey, million dollar policy. Right. It would be you a big get a policy. Planning,
1: right?
0: um, yeah. No. So a lot of drivers
1: hear when they sign up, you will be fully covered by Uber and Lyft. You'll have full insurance. And mm-hmm. that sounds really great. That sounds like, okay, I don't need anything special on my own policy because I'm, quote, fully covered. Mm-hmm. Well, what they mean by fully covered is state minimum. So you're going to be an insured driver on the road. You're not going to be breaking any laws by being out there. But if you want coverage for your own vehicle, that's not included unless you've paid for it yourself.
0: My goodness. Brandon, what, this is like – now, does this is this persuading you to hop on and use my referral code to join Uber and start driving?
2: Well, no, not, uh, not <laughs> def, definitely not anytime soon. It's, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that um, you had to maintain a certain level of collision insurance in order to – begin to kind of reap the um to to be covered really fully by uber uber lyft any of these other TNCs. so that is like an interesting point
0: and you know i'm sure there's a lot of drivers out there that don't know that as well like uh, you know brian like how many how many of these cases do you see where you know drivers come to you for advice or and they they had no idea that they had to be insured themselves we get calls like this every day i would say
1: the biggest issue in rideshare is the lack of insurance on the vehicle. And, and the reason I say that is because when you're a rideshare driver, your vehicle is your livelihood. Mm-hmm. Right. A fender bender can literally take you out of commission for for months. And if you're right. out of commission for months, you fall behind on your car payment. If you, you fall behind on your car payment, you don't have a car. And right. then mm-hmm. suddenly this minor incident that you didn't really think was that big of a deal has taken you on the brink of of, you know, bankruptcy. I mean, you're, you're no longer in the game because you didn't have the information at the beginning of the process to protect yourself.
0: You're totally true on that. And we know just from yeah. anecdotal evidence, uh, how liberally the TNC companies apply, um, bans to, to drivers. Uh, like you said, a, a simple fender bender that takes you out of the, the driving game. They need to deactivate you. Um, and have you prove, I think the proof of burden is on the driver at that point to prove that they are able to operate safely after the accident Yeah, and, and a simple minor fender bender can just take you out completely, your yeah. entire income stream.
2: Brian, what least, should, what should drivers be doing kind of, let's say before, before they get in an accident, you know, what's like the best thing they can do to protect themselves to make sure that they're going to be, going to be covered.
1: Well, there's two things that we recommend, and they're both essentially insurance. One Mm -hmm. is an insurance policy that has a rideshare endorsement. So when you go to your local insurance agent, whatever company you choose, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. You need to be upfront with them that you plan on driving rideshare, and that's Mm -hmm. part of the use of the vehicle. Because Mm -hmm. if you're not honest and you try to get a reduced rate, and then you get into an accident while on the clock or somebody suspects you of being a, an Uber or Lyft driver because they see the decal in your window, mm-hmm. your insurance company will come back and, and either deny the claim or they will just boot you from the, you know, the, the company. You so
0: know? If, if you get denied because you were dishonest, right? You didn't, pay, you didn't want to pay the extra money for the commercial insurance, for the ride shirt add-on, then, therefore, you do not qualify for Uber's insurance or Lyft's million dollar policy, right? So, there's a difference between uh,
1: property damage, collision coverage, and injury coverage. The million dollar policy for Uber and Lyft is a bodily injury uh, oh, okay. policy. So, there are when a driver is on the app in, in period two or three. In most states, they're covered by a million dollars of what we call uninsured or underinsured motorist coverage. That means if somebody causes an accident and Uber or Lyft driver is injured as a result, the rideshare policy will, will come into play and provide uh, benefits such as medical bills, lost mm-hmm. wages, pain and suffering, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Now, a property damage claim, Uber and Lyft, you're correct, will not pay that property damage if your personal policy... Uh, it was, was void. I mean, it was, it was not in play at the time.
0: Right. So, you know, as, as Brandon said, so like what should Uber drivers or Lyft drivers do? Um, let's say when they get an accident, like the first things they do.
1: Yeah. Well, let me, let me finish my, my thought really quickly, just so I I've got both those elements there. I was talking about a rideshare endorsement. That's really important. And we also recommend on the forefront that you get a dash cam and we consider that to be mm. essentially rideshare insurance in and of itself, because it's going to show what happened. can prove then your version of the events if somebody says that you did something wrong you're gonna be able to protect yourself so those are the two things that you need to do before you get in the accident and you'll protect yourself when that accident unfortunately inevitably does occur Um, to your point um, or your question as to what you what do you do if you get into an accident? There's a really multiple steps that you want to take. And and if you visit our, our website, legalrideshare.com, we actually have those steps listed down for drivers and we can send out flyers, but mm-hmm. I be happy to highlight um, some of them to, to make sure that you're listening, yeah. um, at least start on the right, you know, the right foot. Um, so, Many drivers are scared to call the police after an accident. They they think I don't want the police to get involved. This is going to take too long. Or, you know, what happens if they find me at fault? Whatever their thought process is, the police need to be made aware. They need to be told uh, that the accident took place. The facts of the accident. In some jurisdictions, they'll come to the scene and make a report. In some jurisdictions, they'll say if the cars are drivable, you know, come down to the office and we'll fill out a report there. Regardless, you want that report made because that's going to gather the evidence that you need to bring a claim down the road. It's going to include the vehicles that were involved, the drivers that were involved. If you have passengers in your car, those, those people are going to be really hard to find later. If you get your information on the day of, it's all documented right there. Uh, the, the police will also make a fault assessment which is helpful to most drivers. We find that drivers more often than not are not the ones causing the accident. So Mm -hmm. you want that information documented so that you can use it. The next thing that drivers often overlook is their physical condition. You know, they're caught up in the moment. They consider uh, that they've got customers in their car. They want to provide a good customer experience. So they're thinking, I'm fine. I'll push through. I don't need to make complaints of pain. If you are injured or if you are feeling pain at the scene, you need to let people know. You need to tell the police, I feel like I'm all right, but my neck's bothering me. Um, I think I'm gonna go get checked out later or you know, whatever the, the situation is. And the reason why you do that is because it ties the accident to the pains that you're feeling. If the next day you wake up and you're totally fine, no harm, no foul. If three days later you wake up and you're in excruciating pain you've already started the process of linking the traumatic event to the injury and that's mm-hmm. you strengthen your claim down the road.
0: Wow. I never thought of it that way about yeah. that. The pain point. Yeah,
1: that's
2: a good point. I, I definitely no. think that, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, you don't make a big deal, especially in the, in the moment, you probably just like in shock. A lot of times you don't, you don't feel anything. So kind of doing like a little, Self-assessment, seeing like where where things that could be it could be bothering you. That that's super. That's a great idea. I did not think
1: of that. And another point to that: it even if you don't feel pain at the scene, which is actually very common. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people do have that adrenaline going, and they're mm-hmm. I'm right. talking, They tell everybody they're fine. Well, that's not the end of it. You don't need to to deny yourself medical treatment just because at the moment after the impact you didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. You need to go get treatment sooner rather than later. And it's the same point. You don't mm-hmm. want there to be too much time that passes between the accident and your first bout of treatment, because the longer you wait, that gives the insurance company more ammunition to say, well, how do we know this is related? How do we really know that you were injured on this day when you did right. complaints and then you waited a month to go see anybody? If right. It creates this doubt that isn't necessary if you're giving yourself the treatment that you need.
2: Right. So don't be a hero in these situations and talk about, uh, go to the doctor, kind of get yourself checked out as soon as possible.
0: That's exactly. notify the police yeah. whenever so, there's an accident. Yeah,
2: one thing that you kind of um, brought up, Brian, earlier was, um, Brian, uh, earlier was, um, you know, obviously if you get into one of these accidents, you might not be able to work for a while. Um, do drivers have any sort of, you know, recourse in terms of being able to to get some of their income back that they're going to be losing because like you said that's 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 uh their livelihood yeah so there are
1: two ways in which a driver can claim lost wages because of an accident Mm -hmm. Uh, the first would be with regard to the property damage you know as we were talking about if your car's off the road you can't make money right period of time in which your car is physically unable to be driven or is out of your possession because it's being repaired you can go to the at fault drivers insurance company and say i deserve to be reimbursed for this and mm-hmm. you you know you submit uh paper showing these are my wages say over the last 3 months and you know rideshare fluctuates you can't just pick and choose and say these were my best 5 nights you know consider this you've got to show the insurance company the a full picture and say you had possession of my car for 2 weeks while it was repaired i want 2 weeks worth of my average wages back in my pocket and that's Mm -hmm. something that they should provide the other avenue is if you are physically unable to drive Mm -hmm. now drivers often find themselves in situations where they feel like they're physically unable you know a common example is a whiplash injury last several days you may turn your neck or or not be able to turn your neck Mm -hmm. or you think i'm not able to drive because i can't successfully check my blind spot. Well
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: logical. But the insurance companies are unlikely to give you lost wages without a doctor's note that says you are unable to drive. Mm-hmm. Most doctors in that situation would gladly write you that note, say it's not safe for you to be on the road. You can't check, you know, a whole portion of your vehicle when you know when you're on the road. Right. Because without that piece of paper, it's a much harder
2: claim. Gotcha. So then that just goes back even further to the point of visit a doctor, kind of say something about that uh, if you're having some sort of physical issues as soon as possible.
0: And also, so I I heard from a lot of actually Gridwise users, um, and I've actually experienced this myself, Brian, when a passenger's leaving, they say, hey, good, thanks for the ride. They swing that door open and you hear that awful sound of it cranking into some kind of fire hydrant or metallic object or, or street sign. And it, it causes a minor ding or a dent, and it's obviously under the $1,000 deductible. Um, what, what should we do about that? So you're in a tough spot there. Um, you've got under
1: $1,000 worth of damage in most of those situations. Mm-hmm. And therefore, even if the insurance did apply, they wouldn't cover it. They'd say, this is you, know, you're, you haven't met your deductible, you're responsible for this you do have the option of filing a claim against the person who caused the damage so you could conceivably get the information from the the passenger um, ask them to pay for the damage and if they refuse to you could go to small claims court in your county and try to get reimbursement you know i've seen situations in which drivers have done that now you have to ask yourself is that worth your time and expense Uh, you might spend months in that process. You might spend a couple hundred dollars in filing fees. And, you know, me personally, I I don't know that it's worth your time. Um, but that is an option. Somebody caused damage to your vehicle, uh, at no fault of your own. And they, they're responsible for it. We all have an obligation when we go out into the world to act safely and reasonably. And if you don't do that, then you, you know, you got to pay
0: the bill. Well said, good way to put it. And I definitely answers that question for me. Um, it definitely is, seems like it's a, a trade-off balance right there, whether it's worth your time or not. And the lesson learned, I guess, from that is also, if you're driving Uber or Lyft um, and operating and treating this as your own business, that it comes with its own sort of set of risks. And that risk right there is just getting these wear and tear minor issues and cosmetic damages to your car. Um, well, and that's
1: that's a good point, actually. where We, we talk about being... The owner of a business. So mm-hmm. when you are a rideshare driver, you are not an employee of Uber. They they would fight you on that, you know, till till the day we all die. You are mm-hmm. not an employee. Of Uber. Sure will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you are the owner operator of a business, and <clears> in that you need to make certain cost assessments and determine, you know, what is a cost of doing business. What's something worth fighting for, and how do I protect myself? And the way that you protect yourself in this business is through those insurance policies that we were talking about before. You can go to your local state farm or Allstate or farmers or you name it and say, I want a rideshare endorsement on my policy with a low deductible. And it's going to cost you more every month, but maybe that deductible gets all the way down to you know 100 or $250, and then you can get some of these repairs made at a more reasonable price.
0: So... We we touched briefly on on that topic of our Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, employees, um, and in California, they recently passed this AB five uh, a law, which essentially, as what I've read, um, I'm no legal expert, but it, it basically boils down to, um, yeah, like Uber and Lyft, your the way you're treating your independent contractors. They're not really independent and therefore should be classified as employees. And then now they're you're entitled to sick pay, to, to all the other benefits that come with employee status. Um, do you get a lot of calls over at Legal Rideshare about employee versus independent contractor?
1: So we, we're we very in tune with the Rideshare community. We, we talk to Rideshare drivers every day. And with that, we actually we do get a lot of calls about AB5 and employment and independent contractor versus employee. Um, The short answer is it's a little bit outside of what we do. We're a personal injury law firm dedicated to car accident claims, but we do want to fully understand what drivers are going through. And we have, you know, made ourselves well-versed in in the AB5 uh, route. So your understanding of the law is spot on. It's, you know, they, the California legislature has decided that when a company is engaged in a business and hires people to do that work, that, you know, using Uber as an example, they're a transportation company and they hire people to transport others, um, they should be considered employees. And you can't skirt employee benefits and employment laws by classifying them as independent contractors. We know drivers that are on both sides of this issue. Some adamantly say, I don't want to be an employee. I want my independence, I want my flexibility. I understand when I operate for Uber and I understood when I signed up for Uber that I wasn't going to get certain benefits. Mm -hmm. We have drivers who have realized in their time with Uber that they're really missing out on some essential aspects of employment rights and oftentimes human rights that they don't have the opportunity to take a day off because they're sick. When we look at the coronavirus, we see drivers that are going to work despite the fact that they think they might be infected, because they mm-hmm. don't have any other means of making money. Right. So, AB five was meant to solve that problem to give people the ability to have a livelihood and have some some basic benefits. And Uber and
0: Lyft are skirting that, and it's it's crazy because we were reading and keeping up on these these trends happening out of California. And Uber's response to AB5 was to implement all sorts of sweeping changes, uh, such as offering their California drivers and destinations. Now, if you drive Uber, you know that for the longest time you were not afforded that luxury. And that, along with other things such as setting your own incremental rates, only in California. So essentially they were giving back the independent status to their contractors. And it kind of just, I feel like that's just like, if that's not high, they, they're, they're obviously caught red handed right there,
1: in my opinion. So Uber and Lyft and Instacart and all the other ones are guilty. All of them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all in the same. Oh my. They all want to <clears throat> maintain that independent contractor status because they're, they're, business model depends on it. As mm-hmm. soon as they have to start paying workers' compensation and giving people paid time off, the cost of doing business is going to grow exponentially. So we see them pumping in millions and millions of dollars. I think that the, the three big ones out in California, I think it was $90 million that they put into lobbying against AB5. Mm-hmm. They saw it as, as worth it to spend $90 million to keep AB5 from coming becoming law, because they knew that they'd spend more uh, with that law in effect. So as we sit here today, Uber, Lyft, Instacart, Grubhub, you name it, they are all thumbing their nose at AB5, they are all blatantly deciding not to follow it, and they're coming up with these excuses like Uber says that they're not a transportation company. They, you know, are a conglomerate of yada, yada, yada. Yeah.
0: They're a tech company,
1: tech company, and
0: we're, we're a tech platform.
1: Right. And they connect, right. you know, people who want rides with people who give rides, but we don't actually transport people from A to B it's BS, but it's all with the goal of avoiding control and avoiding a label of employee because they, they know they can't be viable <coughs> at least currently. As they're currently set up with that model,
0: mm-hmm. and and I know so unemployment insurance is typically paid by the employer, I believe. And and uh, Uber CEO Dara sent a letter to the president, and as well as members of Congress, leaders in in the Congress, uh, asking them not to forget about Uber drivers, or specifically gig workers, on their coronavirus. Um, relief bill and we we read it and I'm, I'm thank goodness that it happened that uber drivers and actually all freelancers who are affected by this pandemic can now collect unemployment insurance but i'm just thinking like what, what is your thoughts on on that that uber drivers now can collect unemployment insurance but typically this is paid for by the company and Uber hasn't paid a single cent into this. And what do you think this means for the future of Uber drivers, Uber themselves? And will Uncle Sam come pointing the finger a year down the line and be like, hey, Uber, uh, your your, your contractors, your independent contractors collect the millions of millions of dollars of unemployment insurance. It's time for you to pay up.
1: Well, first of all, we're thankful that Congress has put this money says they're going to put this money into gig workers' pockets. I know in some states, including Illinois, where I am, it's been a challenge for gig workers to actually collect on that benefit. But the thought is there, and we appreciate that soon, hopefully, that will come. coming as well. Um, With regard to Uber and Lyft seeking employment benefits for their contractors, they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth here. Um, You know, as an employer, we have to pay, you know, talk about offer, you know, people that have employees have to pay into the system. And that is so that you know, when people become unemployed, those employees can collect the benefit. Uber and Lyft have not contributed at all. So they have received in many essence, uh, in many ways a, a bailout um, without ever having given a benefit to the community. Um, so I would hope that if Uncle Sam comes collecting, that they don't, you know, he doesn't come asking the Uber drivers for that money back, but he goes to the companies and says, it's time for you to pay up, open up yes. your pocketbooks, because we had to bail you out and your your drivers out because you didn't appropriately classify them and you didn't pay any
0: mm-hmm. Well said, well said. So uh, I, we didn't really want to. Get too deep into weeds here on the coronavirus pandemic because that's what everyone's talking about. But one last question here is uh, in regards to one of our users, one of our drivers, wanted to ask: um, I am unable to operate my rideshare business due to the pandemic. What legal recourse do I have? Well, in a lot of
1: ways, none. And I hate to be that blunt, um, because you are an independent contractor and. You know, in most states, AB5 has not taken, <clears throat> there is not recourse other than this unemployment that we were just talking about for drivers. Um, Uber and Lyft have no uh, obligation to pay drivers for paid time off. I know that they've offered to do that. They're making it uh, damn near impossible for that to happen. Um, but when you find yourself in this situation, when you find yourself unable to work, You've got to find other avenues, and unfortunately, sometimes that means finding another platform, another side gig. Um, with coronavirus, everybody's really struggling, and we've certainly seen the gig economy hard. I just uh,
2: kind of following up to one of the things that you you, you mentioned there, Bryant. Um, what should if I, if I'm a driver in really any state? What should I be doing right now? And you know, this is uh, what is it April fourteenth, so. And, you know, in the, at the end of this week, it could be completely different. But what should a driver do right now if they want to file for for unemployment?
1: Well, many states are making are trying to make it easier um, mm-hmm. in Illinois, for instance, there were a lot of issues with the paperwork that needed to be filled out. They were seeking you know, wage statements and like a supervisor's name and you know, the information that gig workers don't have. So the best thing that you can do is keep in touch with your state's unemployment office. Uh, Make sure that you are gathering all the information that they are requiring so that the moment that they're prepared for you to file it, you can be one of the first people in line. Um, We also would recommend looking for other avenues of employment. I know it's scary out there, Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of drivers have moved to delivery That seems to be a little bit safer. Uber Eats, for instance, I know is Mm. doing, um, you know, the social distance drop off. They're not requiring drivers to actually hand the food to the customer, which is good. Um, So while the states catch up, you know, other avenues of making money is
0: probably the best way to go. Thanks for that insight. That's super, super important. Um, That's all the questions I have. Brandon, any more?
2: No, I think... I think that about covering it was really awesome to, you know, we talked a lot about these kind of different issues on the podcast and blogs and things like that, but it's really awesome to get the perspective of not only a lawyer, but a lawyer that is absolutely well-versed in, in, in terms of the, the ride share community. So yeah, I would encourage, and, and Brian, you can kind of give a little spiel after this as well, but I would encourage if you are a rideshare driver, you, you know, definitely if you're getting into, into, any accidents and really, uh, if you guys have any questions in terms of
1: rideshare in general, direct them to legal rideshare. These guys, these guys know their stuff. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I would just say if you're a driver and you find yourself in a situation that you don't know how to handle, whether it's an accident, an injury, an accusation, give us a call. We are here to be a resource if we can help you, we absolutely will. If we can't, we'll point you in the right direction. Um, but there's nobody else out there that's doing this. We are the only legal rideshare. We're the only ones who are um, dedicated to Uber and Lyft accident and injury claims. And we've been here since the beginning. So um, don't hesitate to, to email us, help, H-E-L-P, at legalrideshare.com. Visit legalrideshare.com. Follow us on social media. We want to be a resource and we're happy to be one.
2: Perfect. And they're all over social media you guys are all over twitter you're active on active on twitter so so get them
0: in the in the mentions as well we try to be all the links everything you need in the description below of this youtube video and if you are on podcasts make sure you check out our youtube videos and as well follow legal ride share hit them up on socials check out their websites email everything